0: Lord, that word great get used a lot, but Lord, you're the only one worthy of it. No one's great but you. There's none righteous beside you, before you, or after you. You're a great and an awesome God. Lord, we pray as we go to your word this morning that you would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word, the living, breathing word of God. Not an old antiquated book. Not a book written by men, but Lord, by your Holy Spirit, penned by men, Lord, that ministers to our hearts today. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Go ahead and grab a seat. Before we get into the text this morning, we have one of my favorite things, a baby dedication. So if the Wilsons will come on up. i got to tell on Doug. Doug and I have been friends 25 years. I just realized that. So each other a long time. We actually prayed a long time for him to find his wife. Is that true or not? And here she is, and she was worth the wait. Amen? And we've been praying for them to have children, and God has blessed their family richly. And this is Jacob. you see me, bud? Look how big this guy is. I think mean, you weigh as much as your dad. Hi, buddy. Well, this is Jacob. Let's pray and and dedicate his whole life to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for this precious young man. We thank you, Lord, for the foundation of the world. Lord, it was your plan to knit him in Shannon's womb that he would be born into this family. Lord, we pray and dedicate his whole life to you, Lord. May he grow up to be a mighty young man of God. May he love and serve and follow you all the days of his life. Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would just, even as he grows, just stir up the gifts you've given him. May he come to know you at a young age, and Lord, may he be an example, and Lord, a a shining light, even as he is young in elementary school, and Lord, as he continues to grow. Father, we lift up the entire Wilson family to you. We pray for Doug, that you'd help him to be the spiritual leader in his home, the example that Jacob can look to, to see what a godly man looks like, a godly husband and a godly father. And Lord, I pray also for Shannon, Lord. Help her to be the the godly mom you've called her to be, that Proverbs 31 woman. Lord, may you bless this family, bless the girls as well. We just lift them up to you, Lord. I thank you that Jacob's being raised in a home, Lord, where your name is lifted up, in a home where he's going to be brought to church and taught the truth. And Lord, we dedicate his life to you now. May you watch over him. May you protect him. May you grow him in the most holy faith. May your hand be upon this young man, We look forward to watching him grow up in just in stature, but more importantly, Lord, in his love for you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Bye, guys. What a beautiful family. Amen? All right, turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 1. We'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Few things I love more than seeing kids being raised in a Christian home. That's a great thing. Amen? Amen. Hey, dads, let me exhort all of you, just as I prayed for Doug, if you've got kids or you don't have them yet and you're going to one day be a godly dad. Take time to raise your kids in a godly home. Teach them the word. Don't just teach them, but live it out in front of them. Moms, you do the same. You know, may we be examples to our children; they can follow. All right, catching you up. We looked at the. We did an introduction of Titus last week. We looked at the first nine verses of chapter one. We're looking at the second half of the chapter this morning. If you were not here, I titled the message "Getting the Church in Order," and this is the third of the pastoral epistles. They're called that because they were written by the apostle Paul to young men who are pastoring churches in very difficult situations. We looked at 1 and 2 Timothy over several month period, and as we were looking at those letters, we saw that they were written to young Timothy who was pastoring in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, it was a city that was very ungodly. It was a city that was enduring great persecution at the time. We get to 2 Timothy. It's a time when Caesar Nero is... Uh, attacking the Christians. He burned Rome to the ground and blamed it on the Christians and then began to feed them to wild animals and set them on fire. I mean, it was a time of incredible persecution. And Paul's letter to young Timothy in both cases was, Timothy, stand fast for the things of God. Do not water down the gospel. Do not walk away even as people walk away. And you know what? Sometimes pastors need to be encouraged. I should say often they need to be. Because there are times when Timothy could have looked at the people and been discouraged as he saw some of them in the midst of persecution walking away from God and others who were standing for God being persecuted, even some being put to death. Now as we come to the, this letter to Titus, Titus was a young, another young man who was pastoring on the island of Crete. Now Crete was a, an island in the Mediterranean, or is a, an island in the Mediterranean, and it's a fairly sizable island, about 50 miles by 130 miles. And on that island, he was there, and he was facing some of the similar circumstances, but in a, in a different way, because these people were very ungodly. We're going to talk about this some more in depth as we go through the text, but to be called a Cretan was really a, a slam, because the people of Crete were very ungodly. They were very uh, caught up in themselves. Sounds like the world we live in today. And so this letter is being written to Titus, this young man in the faith. Now, one thing we we don't know a lot about Titus prior to this letter being written, we see him only listed four times in all of Scripture. But each time we see him listed, we learn a little bit about him because he's a young man that Paul speaks of very highly. As a matter of fact, at one point, when Paul wants to give an example of a Greek Christian, someone who had not been a Jew, but who had given their life to Jesus Christ and was on fire for God, to prove the point that you didn't have to become a Jew before you became a Christian, he used Titus as the example. Titus then kind of became his troubleshooter. Whenever there was a church that was a mess, he would send Titus down to go and oversee the church. So we know that this church was a huge mess because as Titus is there, he has to be encouraged by Paul. Now, we read this and sometimes we look at books like this written 2,000 years ago, letters like this, and we think, what has this got to do with me? He's given instructions to a pastor on the island of Crete on how to get the church back in order because it's gotten, it's lost its way. Well, guys, there's nothing new under the sun, and the church in the United States has lost its way. And we, too, need to get back on track and get the church back in order. Amen? Amen. We need to get back to turning this away from being a religious country club to a place where we come and have intimate fellowship with Almighty God. To a place where the lost are being saved and those who know God are growing in their faith. And we take the faith that we have outside of these four walls and we impact the world around us. And so we saw that on the island of Crete, he's writing this letter to Titus. And we looked at the first couple of points last week in getting the church in order. Now, in this first chapter, he's talking to them about protecting sound doctrine. And then in chapters 2 and 3, what we'll look at starting next week, he's going to talk to them about practicing sound doctrine. Now, doctrine is just a big word for truth. So he's protecting the truth of God's word is what he talks about in chapter 1. And then putting that truth in action in chapters 2 and 3. Now, guys, belief should impact our behavior. It's not enough to say we believe in God and yet live like the world. The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control against such there is no law. Guys, the people see us, we ought to be different than the world. And so the exhortation originally that we saw last time, the first two things he told this young pastor on how to protect sound doctrine, number one was to preach the word of God. To proclaim the truth with great boldness, because it is the source of our hope. It is the source of life. Back in verse three, or verse two, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching. So sometimes you'll hear people say, do we really need pastors in churches? Do, what, I can just go sit on the golf course. That's my church. I can go get out of my surfboard. I just commune with God on my surfboard. And I'm not saying you can't spend time in prayer out on the ocean. You can. But you know what? We need to be in fellowship we're going to forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. And everybody in this room has a gift God has given them and we all need to use them for the body to be healthy. And so the word of God is manifest through the preaching of the word. The word preaching there means to herald or proclaim with great boldness. It's not someone giving their opinion. It's taking what's been given to them by their master and simply you know, shouting it from the mountaintops. Guys, my opinion should mean nothing to you. And your opinion should really mean nothing to me. It's the Word of God that means everything. Because the Word of God is what transforms our lives. So he told them, the church is out of order. The first thing you need to do is start preaching the Word. The church in the United States is out of order, and we need to start preaching the Word of God again. In every church. Be praying for that. That we would teach the Word again. Not seven steps to financial freedom, not three ways to overcome your anger, not Beaver doesn't live here anymore, this series, not, you know, none of this stuff. How about we just teach the Bible? Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, amen? We need to teach all of it. Leviticus is as inspired as Luke, Ruth is as given by God as Romans, and we need to study every single word. So he's telling them, the church is out of order. Teach the word. Then the second thing he said was, Raise up godly pastors and leaders, men who have been called by God to lead, and men of godly character. Now, again, what we see so often in the church today is that it has become a popularity contest. We're looking more for a polished man than a godly man. We're often looking for a guy who looks good on TV rather than a guy who's faithful throughout the week. You know, it's interesting that the qualifications for the pastor, there's 15 of them listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and a similar similar number here, a little bit less here, but what's interesting to me is out of those 15 characteristics, 14 of them speak of godly character, only one of gifting. The gift is he must be able to teach, but there's 14 characteristics that talk about him being a man of godly character. Sadly, today, we'll turn our eyes away from godly character if a guy is charismatic. Quit looking for a charismatic man. Start looking for a godly man. Start looking for a guy who just points you to Jesus. We ought to walk out of the building after hearing the Word of God taught, forgetting who taught it and remember what was taught. Amen? Amen? Walk out of here thinking about Jesus, not the one who stood up. When we walk away, we shouldn't think about who the worship team was or how soft the seats were or anything else. We should leave here excited about our Savior. And that's what it's really all about. So he told, get the church in order by preaching the word of God, by raising up leaders, godly elders, grab the, the tape from last week, they're always free. So Titus would need to not only proclaim the truth, but raise up other men who would do the same and appoint them over every city and Crete. These men were called and gifted by God to serve as pastors. I want to say this very clearly, pastor means servant. And it grieves me as a pastor when I see pastors becoming celebrities. Guys, there's only one celebrity in the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. We only magnify him, we only lift up his name. And it's so sad when people talk about, guys, when people ask you where you go to church, talk about Jesus, not about the pastor. Amen? Or the worship team, or the gymnasium that you meet in, right? It's so fancy and sweet. But don't talk. But it's not about the building, it's about the Lord. And back in Second Timothy, we saw Paul's exhortation of what a pastor was called to do. What was he called to do? To preach the word, to convince, to rebuke, to exhort with all su- long-suffering and teaching. If someone's been called by God, they must realize that with calling is going to come work and difficulty. You've heard all the jokes. Maybe you have. And I've heard all the jokes about pastors. You know, the three boys are sitting down, and one says, well, my dad's a lawyer, and he makes this amount of money, and my dad's a a doctor, and he makes this amount of money. And then one kid says, well, my dad only works one hour a week, and he has to have four guys collect all the money that that he makes for that one hour, right? Going up and down the aisles. You know, that pastor, he works an hour a week. Guys, you know what? A pastor should be a servant 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He doesn't go home, he doesn't check out, he doesn't cease to be a servant. And that should be true of every Christian, but most specifically those who are called by God to minister to the people within the body of Christ. Guys, count the cost if you feel a calling to be in the ministry. Because there was a time coming when people who called themselves Christians would no longer endure sound doctrine, he said, said, teach the word and realize that when you do, you're going to face opposition. When you stand up and proclaim the word with great boldness, not everybody's going to like it. When you shine a halogen light into a pitch black room, people are going to tell you to turn the light off. We're living in a time when people are taking the Bible out of school, prayer out of school, and then they wonder why kids are bringing guns to school. We haven't taught them right or wrong. There are no moral absolutes anymore. They need to understand that there is such a thing as sin. Men are not inherently good, they're inherently wicked and desperate in need of a Savior. And we need to get back to pointing people to the fact that we are sinners in light of who we are compared to Jesus Christ. You've heard me say it before, God doesn't grade on the curve. It doesn't say, well, you're better than some and not better than others, and you know, well, there's a grade on the curve and I'm in the top half, I'll be fine. He doesn't grade on the curve, He grades at the cross. And what you've done with Jesus is what's going to matter. And so he's telling him, look, they're going to be raising up ear ticklers, they're going to stop teaching the word, they're going to start raising up guys who will tell them what they want to hear, Titus, tell them what they need to hear, and raise up godly men who will tell them what they need to hear, and proclaim it with great boldness, who will not water it down, who will not be politically correct, but will be godly accurate in proclaiming the truth of God's word. And he told them, be watchful, keep your ears and your eyes open, so for Timothy in Ephesus, or for Titus in Crete, or for all of us here in Santa Cruz in 2007. The message is the same. We need to proclaim the word. We need to raise up those who've been called by God. He then tells him at the end of 1 Timothy 4, to do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And it is the work of the ministry, the work of an evangelist. One who is a pastor, another word that, that can refer to as someone who shepherds. You know, a shepherd does a couple of things. He not only feeds the sheep, but he watches out for wolves. You know, it's one thing if he feeds them, but then he lets the wolves come in and devour them. All he's done is fatted them up for the wolves. He better be making sure he protects them from those who would come in and destroy them. And that's what a pastor is called to do, as we're going to see in this morning's text. Not only was he to proclaim the word, not only was he to raise up other godly men to minister to people and give ministry away to feed them the word of God, as we'll see in this morning's text, he was also to watch out for the wolves that would come in. In Titus 1.9, Timothy was to be a man of godly character, to hold fast to the faithful word you've been taught, that you may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. And that brings us to this morning's text in verse 10. Hold fast to the word of God, that you may be able to exhort and convict those who contradict. So how do we do that? How do we get the church in order? By preaching God's word with boldness, by raising up godly leaders, and then the point we're going to look at this morning... By silencing the false teachers, those who preach a false gospel, those who seek to draw people away from the truth. Now, here's what's interesting. Have you ever gone through the religion section in the Santa Cruz Sentinel? Anybody ever done that besides me? Does it drive you nuts? You go through and you read it, and sometimes there will be 72 listings, and if you're fortunate, that's what last time I, there were 72 listings and there were two Christian churches, There was every kind of faith under the sun. Every kind of belief under the sun. And you know what? The world we live in today says it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe in something. But you know what? As pastors, there's a temptation to just go with the flow and not rock the boat and don't say anything. And you know, sometimes it would be easier to do that. But God has called those who preach the word to also proclaim the truth about false teachers. Every time I talk about a false teacher, people get upset. People say, "Well, who do, we, who do you think you are? Guys, I am no, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a Savior just like anyone else. But if I do not warn you, who in the world is going to? I had a girl in my youth group years ago say to me, well, yeah, Pastor Dave, I'm going to start going to youth group with my friend down the street. It's really fun, and you know, they love the Lord too. and, and you know, So I'm going to be going there from now on. I said, what's the name of the church? Oh, it's Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. And then people were like, well, what's wrong with that? Well, guys, if we're not proclaiming the truth, they're teaching a different gospel. They're proclaiming a different Jesus. And you know what? They're not pointing people to the way, the truth, and the life. Not the true and the living God. And so he's telling them, as you go in and proclaim sound doctrine, protect the sound doctrine, given out to the people, you need to preach the word, you need to raise up godly leaders, but you also need to warn them and protect them from the wolves that would come in. Now look what it says in verse 10. For, there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumstance, uh, circumcision. Now, for, the word for there, the reason there is a clear need to appoint elders. He said back, appoint elders, and raise godly men, and you hold fast to the word of God for... Now the word for means, now I'm going to tell you the reason why you need to preach the Word of God. The reason why you need to raise up godly elders. Here's why you need to do that. Whenever you see that word for or therefore, it's always tying back into the previous text you just read and helping bring understanding to it. So what was he to do? The reason for this appointing of elders was to recognize those God has called and place them in that position And give authority to these men. Why? Because there would be those who would be false teachers. There would be those who would be insubordinate. They needed godly men to stand up and recognize the wolves when they were coming in. And to be able to remove them before the sheep were harmed. In a place like Crete, in an ungodly place like that, there needed to be those who were ever watchful. It says, for there are many insubordinate. The word insubordinate can also mean unruly. One in rebellion, who will not receive sound doctrine, nor come under discipline. They have their own agenda. They will not listen to the authority of any other man. They will go to war to get their agenda done. They don't care what it says in the Bible, or what an authority says. And most often, they're very divisive. Now, praise God, we've not seen a lot of this here, but we have seen some of it. And often the people with an agenda will come in and find a healthy church that is growing, where God is blessing, because what I have found is that false teachers have a hard time raising up their own fellowship. So what they'll do instead is they'll go and find one that is healthy, then they'll start looking for the people that are new in their faith, and then they'll start pulling them aside and teaching them a better way. And we've had that happen here. And you know what, I can honestly say this, I don't think we've ever told anybody they had to leave We've encouraged them, if the behavior didn't stop, they were going to have to leave, and then they left. But what will happen is, they will pull you aside, and they will begin to tell you, well, the pastor's an idiot. Let me explain it now, that might be true, but they're going to explain to you in a better way, a better understanding. And they've always got their own agenda, and they always have a group they want you to join, and there's always this divisiveness that comes in. And again, there's nothing new under the sun because this was happening 2,000 years ago. They often come again to a healthy church for one purpose, to draw away after themselves or to pull people to their way of thinking. And again, most often they'll look for those who are newer in the faith. For a pastor or an elder to be effective in his calling, he must be able to both discern and recognize such behavior and be willing and equipped to stand up against such rebellion, to reason from Scripture, to enforce godly discipline if necessary. Now, this is the part of being a pastor that most pastors I know do not like at all. You don't think in the morning, Oh, I get to get up and discipline someone this morning. I can hardly wait. This is going to be great. I can hardly wait to go confront that brother. That's just going to be a wonderful thing. That's not what we want to do. We want to minister the Word of God, we want to pray with people, we want to love on people. But you know what? A pastor's not really a pastor if he's not willing to stand up in the face of opposition and identify those who are teaching false doctrine. Guys, if we don't do that, can you imagine a a parent allowing a, a child to eat poison? That parent would not be a parent very long. That child would be taken away from them. But yet, here's what happens today. I remember one young man who was here for quite a while, and he said he wanted equal time to get up and proclaim what he wanted to teach. And I said, bro, that's that's what's not going to happen. That's that's what's not going to happen. Well, man, they should all. we should have equal time. I'm like, bro, should we invite the Buddhists in here and the Muslims in here and, just, and get some witches to come in and cast some spells? Why don't we do that? That's not what we're going to do. Guys, I want you to know that anything that comes from here is the truth that comes from the Word of God and nothing else. Amen. Amen. Nothing else, nothing less. That's it. That's why you should have your Bible open on your lap to make sure the pastor's not outside of his mind and making stuff up. Amen? Amen. You got to follow along. And so the point is that there are going to be those who come in and those who try to subvert. And he's telling them, Titus, to get the church in order, not only do you need to proclaim the word and raise up godly leaders, but know there are going to be many who come in, many who come in and seek to draw people away. Men who do not, and here's the thing you'll find out about false teachers they're never under anyone's authority, ever. They're always a maverick, always running off on their own program. I hate to identify a specific situation, but I'm going to just to give you an idea. I had a guy not too long ago come up and ask me who Cain's father was. I'm like, is this a trick question? I knew that when I was four. Who's Cain's father? You mean Cain in Genesis, yeah. Who's Cain's father? This will determine whether or not I come back to your church. I knew I was in trouble already. But I said, uh, Adam? Adam, Eve, Cain, right? That's in the Bible, right? We all know that. You learned that when you were three. He said, no. Satan is Cain's father. Where did you get that? And again, he's started. he got scripture all twisted, and then I looked up and he's talking. Oh, wait a minute. Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 says, And Adam knew his wife, and they begat Cain. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? But you know what happens with false teachers? They try to find something in the text that's not there. Guys, just read the Bible and take the simple understanding first, because that's the easiest way to understand scripture. Don't try to put something in there that's not in there. You take a text out of context, all you got left is a con, right? And what happens is that people, these false teachers will come in, and they'll come in in droves, and they'll have a new revelation that no one's ever seen before. Guys, if it's new, it's not true. Nobody saw it for 2,000 years. All of a sudden, you came along and discovered some new thing. Things like Bible codes. Would you stop it already? (laughs) Well, if you take every fourth letter and give it a numerical value from... Oh, stop! How about we just read what the letters say and just deal with that, amen? Have anybody here mastered just the way it's written out in black and white yet, yeah, you got that mastered yet, why don't we work on that, amen? I'm amazed. They go, yeah, well, it's a code that God put in there. Sweetheart. You know, the Bible wasn't written in English, right? Oh, well, that's true. Uh, duh! Here's the point! <laughs> Let's just read the Bible. But many will come in and they'll have a new agenda. And again, if pastors and elders are unable or unwilling to do so, it won't be long before the rebellious take over the fellowship. Now, let me say this. It should be dealt with in a loving and a gracious way. Always. The whole heart of the one who is being divisive is to win them to the Lord. The only reason we ever bring discipline, scriptural discipline, is not to destroy but to restore so if you put your arm around the brother and say, bro, you know what, you're confused. Let me better reason with you. And they still won't receive it. You pray for them. You might have to tell them to go find another church sometimes, but that doesn't mean you don't keep praying for them. So again, it's not something that a pastor enjoys to do, but they must do it. Some recognize, recognize when you come to them and they repent, but often what happens is they lash out, they write out emails to everybody in the church and talk about what a jerk the pastor is. You know what? Wolves don't like it when you take away their access to the sheep. They don't like that. You know, Imagine take the food away from a, a pit bull. He's going to want the food. Get out of my way, right? And the wolves are the same when you take away their access to the sheep. You know what? I praise God again. We haven't had a lot of that. And you know what though, even sadder than it says that there are insubordinate, again those who are undermining the authority, those who are rebellious and unruly, the saddest part is the word right in front of it, is that there are many. So we need not be shocked that there are many who come in. Guys, when you flip around the TV channels, make sure that you know the word of God well enough not to be duped by some of the stuff you're going to see. Because there are wolves on TV all day long. You need to be very careful that you don't just suspect because they've got Christian in their name that it means they really know God. And it's so sad, there will be many. Now notice this, the church has only existed at this point 30 to 40 years at the outside. It didn't take long for false teachers to show up, did it? Word of God is being taught 30 years later, there's false teachers and many of them. So there's persecution from the outside and false teachers on the inside. Is it any wonder that we desperately need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and hold tightly to the Word of God that we might know the truth? Because the outward attacks and the inward you know, falling away can so easily bring destruction upon the church. One of Satan's biggest ploys, just like these unruly guys, One of the things that Satan loves to do is try to make you doubt the Word of God. These unruly and insubordinate, what they would do is they would come and attack the Word. If you remember back in the Garden of Eden, what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say that? Does the Word of God really say that you shouldn't be sleeping with your girlfriend? Does it really say that? Does the Word of God really say that you can't? You know, cheat on your taxes or that, that you shouldn't be popular and striving for the things. That, does the Bible really say the enemy will always try to get you to doubt the word of God? And that's exactly what he did in the Garden of Eden. And that's what happens today. But you've got to remember that Satan was cast from heaven as he sought to overthrow the authority of Almighty God. And so, too, a lack of willingness to submit to God-given authority is a defining characteristic of many of the false teachers today. They're being Satan-like. They don't want to be under, praise God, I want accountability. We should all want accountability, amen? We should all want those that can have authority in our lives. We need that. But the false teachers tend not to want any of that because they want to continue on in the rebellious, unruly, insubordinate, unsubmitted way. Then it says this, they're insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers. The word idle talker, it's combining the words empty and word. So they boast a bunch, boast a bunch of empty words. One who enter, utters em, empty and senseless things, words that have no eternal profit or significance. Give you again every angle, but it's void of any real answers. You know, it's like just spouting off hot air that has no value. And you know what? Sometimes, again, I'm just going to be direct. Sometimes you go, you turn on TV stations and you'll watch a, a preacher on TV and you're 20 minutes in, and you're thinking, what in the world has this got to do with anything? The guy's really charismatic, his hair's looking rico suave, but he's said nothing so far. <laughs> Feel free to mix in a verse. Feel free to open up your Bible. Amen? Amen? But what we see instead today is just a, again, it's a rah-rah session. You know, it's, it feels more like an Amway meeting than a church meeting. If you're into Amway, God bless you, I love you, okay? But here's the point. <laughs> the Word of God is what we need to be proclaiming, nothing else, nothing less. Amen? Amen. And so these idle talkers, they're just blathering on but saying nothing. And you know what? You can tell when someone's blathering on because the sentences tend to start with, I think, I feel. Not the Word of God says. Amen? Amen. What I think, what I feel won't do you much good. And again, most of the time... Idle talk does nothing more than raise questions instead of giving answers. Guys, I should not be up here raising questions, but delivering answers, because I have the teacher's edition, if you didn't know that. This is the, right? That The answers are in here, aren't they? It's not to raise a bunch of questions. Well, I'm just questioning. I'm on my journey, trying to figure out. Guys, let me figure it out for you. It's Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. There's the end, the beginning of the journey. Amen? There's the answer. We don't need to to travel along and question and try to figure out and meditate. Guys, we don't need to do that. We have the answer. He wrote it down. He made it clear. He's not hiding it from us. Aren't you glad? But sadly, we have those idle talkers who just spew out a bunch of words with no meaning. It's not our words, but His words that save souls. Idle talkers were in direct opposition of holding fast to the Word of God. God's Word can pierce the heart in a sentence, and idle talkers can speak for hours, months, years without saying anything of significance. You can open the Word of God and read three words and pierce to the depths of your soul. And someone can get up and blather on for months and say nothing. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? Without God, there is no wisdom. And that's why we need the Word of God that we may grow in His truth. May we hide His Word in our hearts, that His Word would pour out of our mouths, not our opinions. The Bible has the answers. Then it says, "Idle talkers and deceivers." A deceiver is one who misleads or seduces the minds of others. He de- they deceive both themselves and the minds of those the, of the simple that they try to ensnare with their argument. You know what? These are the tares among the wheat, these deceivers. We must know the word lest we be deceived. Guys, you can't be deceived if you know the truth. You know why you fall for a lie? You don't know the truth. If you know the truth, you won't fall for the lie. When someone comes in and tells a lie, that's not the Lord. How do you know that? Because the word of God says so. But sadly, we're raising a generation of biblically ignorant Christians, and that's why we fall for anything. That's why we put such a heavy emphasis on the Word of God. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, the word of God. Amen. So, pastors are called to both recognize and remove those who would deceive the people. And again, this is in a clear and direct contrast to the list of character traits that identify one who had been called by God. The character traits talk about these men who are broken and submitted to God and holding fast to the Word of God, but instead, the false teachers are idle talkers who have no concept of God's Word, who speak only with empty words. Rather than leading others to Christ, they are deceivers who attempt to mislead and seduce the minds of others to follow them and their ideas. We see this both in their actions and in their motives. Look what it says. Idle walkers, idle talkers, and deceivers, especially those... Of the circumcision. Now the circumcision means those of the Jewish faith. And so he's saying especially those of the circumcision. Now we get a hint of what the message was that many of these false teachers in Crete were teaching. You know what it was? Before you can become a Christian, you must first become a Jew. So before you can give your life to Jesus Christ, you must first be circumcised, you must first fulfill the law of Moses, you must walk in it, and then if you do all of that in an effective enough way, then and only then you can become a Christian and give your life to Jesus Christ. You know what, I've got a major problem with that, because Jesus said upon the cross, it is finished and Jesus plus any nothing equals salvation and when you add to the cross of Calvary you're denying the words of Jesus Christ guys it's not Jesus plus these 12 things it's giving your life to Jesus alone these of the circumcision were called Judaizers. They were prevalent in the first century church. And while professing to be Christians, instead of holding fast to the word of God, as they had been taught, they added to God's word their own rules and opinions. So these were professing Christians. So guys, just because someone professes to be a Christian doesn't mean they're not a false teacher. Because there are many that would call themselves Christians who've gotten away from the word of God. And typically what you see is legalism. What happens is they begin to add to the word of God their own extra rules and they're they're very legalistic. In addition to repenting of your sin and receiving Jesus as your savior, you must keep the Jewish law. You must first become a Jew. Jesus alone is not enough. While the Judaizers may not be prevalent today, the same doctrines of legalism are still alive. Legalism is adding man's good works to the completed work of the cross. A list of man-made rules or rituals that men insist are essential for salvation in addition to the cross of Calvary. Let me give you some examples. You must be baptized in our baptismal under the one name that we tell you only after you've been through the discipleship classes, then and only then can you be saved. It's a whole denomination that teaches that. We had a guy that began fellowshipping in our church that was going through the discipleship classes and waiting for them to tell him he was ready to be baptized, and he was scared to death every time he would leave the house and ride his motorcycle to work, that he would die before he got baptized and then would go to hell. Guys, that's legalism. He who the Son sets free is free indeed, amen? Amen. And you can be free today, today's the day of salvation, not six months from Wednesday after you've gone through all of our classes and you get in our baptismal and you do things exactly the way we tell you, let's go by what the Word of God says, it's sufficient. Commands to maintain a certain diet, to meet on a specific day, to wear certain clothes, to fulfill certain religious rites denominations that would teach you things like you must be baptized as an infant, take your first Holy Communion, go through confirmation classes and be confirmed, go to confession and make penance, have your last rites, and be prayed out of purgatory to get into heaven. Is that adding to the gospel or not? That's a big out. You don't know where I grow. Hey guys, I'm not bashing anybody. What I'm trying to tell you is we need Jesus plus nothing else. We should not be adding to the cross of Calvary. It grieves the heart of God. Jesus died for us. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus and 12 other steps. That's not what it says. It's the blood of Jesus. It's sufficient. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's sufficient. Sadly, millions today are putting their faith in man-made legalistic rites and rituals instead of in Jesus Christ who alone can save. Legalism can also be seen when we attempt to make our convictions the convictions of others. You know what? Can I encourage you? Be careful. You know, one example that I think it's fair that there are, are multiple ways of looking at it, one example where well, we can get legalistic if we're not careful, how we educate our kids. Some people believe that you should homeschool your kids, and I do not disagree with that. I think that's a great way to raise your kids. But some people believe if you don't homeschool your kids, you're in sin. You need to show me a verse for that. But they'll say you're in sin. Well, then others will say, well, if you don't send your kids to Christian school, you're in sin. Because, you know, how would you let your kids... And then other people will say, well, if you don't send your kids to public school where they can be salt and light to a lost and dying world, you're just sheltering your kids and you're not letting them be an evangelist to the world. So you're in sin. I've heard all three of those arguments. Who's right? You know what? You need to be faithful to what God convicts you to do with your children. You be faithful and when you become legalistic because when you start taking the conviction God's put on your heart and putting it on someone else. Dude, you have a TV in your house? I thought you were saved right? You've heard that? Kids would come to youth group. Look, that girl's got purple hair. I'm like, who cares? Who cares? I, was, I never did it because I had a sales job, but I was half tempted to just dye my hair purple one time because they were mocking these kids in youth group. I'm like, you know what? I'm just glad they're here because Jesus loves them just the way they are. Amen. Amen. Let's quit trying to change the outward appearance. Let's transform their heart. Let's let them come to know Jesus Christ. Let's quit being legalistic about stuff that doesn't matter, and let's point them to our Savior. You know, they ought to see us just loving all over them, not judging them about some outward thing. Amen? Amen. But legalism, you know, legalism comes with self-righteous attitude, doesn't it? Well, one of these days you might be as spiritual as me, and then you'll see things the way I do. You know what's interesting? The Bible tells us that the legalistic brother is the weaker one. That's what the Bible tells us. They are the ones who are weaker in their faith. So diet, sources of entertainment, how we choose to educate our kids, dress, style of hair again, the key to is be obedient to what God has convicted you to do, but we must never make our convictions the standard for other Christians, and most certainly not make them essential for salvation you got to be baptized our way. You've got to come to these classes. You've got to fulfill these rituals. And if you don't, you're not really saved. That's no different than the Judaizers 2,000 years ago. It's Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. Then it says, whose mouths must be stopped. I actually kind of like that. <laughs> now, we need to be careful because the word there for stopped actually is muzzle or Gag. So if you see the pastors with some guy in the back with a little, no, that's not how you're, no. But you notice what he says. He doesn't say, well, it's not a big deal. Just let it go. It's really not going to hurt anybody. What's the big deal, man? Can't we just all get in a circle and sing Kumbaya and just let it go? No. You know what? When someone is proclaiming a false gospel, they are attacking our Savior. Amen. And then when they do, it must be Stopped. That's what the Word of God says. So what does that mean? That means we do not give them access. We do not give them a platform for the false teaching. Instead, we remove them and take them away from the sheep. That's what we do. Again, the wolf is very... The very thing he wants most is access to the sheep. We'll often attack and berate the pastors and leaders for not giving him the platform he wants. And we must not be swayed by per- political correctness or trying to be inclusive. We must teach the word of God. Amen. We should not apologize for the gospel. Amen. Amen? Amen? Speak it in love, but never apologize. Why in the world we apologize for the very thing that every man needs to hear? Why would we apologize for having the antidote to the death serum? Amen? We got the antidote. Everyone's dying. We've got the answer. Let's not apologize for it. Let's let people know what it's done to our lives and share with them the very thing they need. False teachers can do a great harm in the local church. I thought of this. I thought, what, what do, would do a great harm in this church this morning? Imagine if we let loose a pack of wild rabbit dogs in here right now and shut the doors. It wouldn't be pretty. We've got, got a couple of cops off duty be pulling their guns out of their out of their shoe and shooting them or something but here's the point rabid dogs would do less damage than a false teacher because rabid dogs can only harm you physically but a false teacher can stumble you spiritually and so we must have the same vigilance in removing that as we would rabid dogs from the sanctuary look what it says who subvert whole households it's interesting that the false teachers left alone would take entire families away from the Word. And in those days, they met in houses, largely. Church was just getting started. And this could even be a reference that they took entire churches away from the truth by teaching their false doctrine. While we must know what we believe and why we believe it, the Bible tells us we should be simple concerning the things which are evil. We need to know the truth, we need to be able to identify the lie, and we need to be able to stand up for it. We should not be afraid to hold up any belief to bl- guys. I'm not saying I don't want other uh, beliefs to come up and teach because I'm afraid that the truth will be revealed. We already know the truth. We don't have to. You know, we've already spent the time in the Word. We already know what it says, and all we're going to do is bring confusion to the truth. If we know that two plus two is four, we don't have to have eight different guys up here to explain that it's five, nine, 7, 12, and 14. Those are all lies, and that would be a waste of time. Amen? We know the truth of God's word. That's all we want to focus on. The pastor must protect the sheep from potential harm, idle words, divisiveness of the false teacher, and again, teaching things. Now look what it says there. Teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. So here we see what they're teaching, and now we see the motive for teaching it. They're teaching things they should not. They're teaching things that are contrary to sound scripture. Now let me just share my heart with you also in another area. I am really burdened for high school and college students today. You go into a campus, and you've got people, and now I know people are going to get upset, but I love you, okay? You've got people getting up there and spewing lies at you all day long. Take a philosophy class in college and tell me if they're not lying to you. I took one. First day, the guy said, there is no absolute truth. That's a lie. Is that a lie or not? It's a lie. And he said, oh, yeah, and if anybody wants to try to challenge it, well, you know. He was so arrogant. And in my flesh, I wanted to drop him like a bag of hammers, but that would not have been Christ-like. But you know what, guys? Your faith is going to be challenged. There are going to be those who bring lies. And we need to know the truth so we don't fall for the lie. Amen? Amen? We need to know the truth. And we need to be grounded in the truth. And we need to be taught the word, teaching things they ought not, trying to draw people away. And so what motivates these false teachers? Well, for the sake of dishonest gain. Now, the characteristic of a pastor we saw last week is he must not be greedy for money. And so we see that false teachers are often motivated by money. So here's an idea. If you see a guy on TV and he's got a suit on that costs more than your car, probably a guy who is greedy for money. Amen? If you see somebody and, you know, he just looks a little too sharp, hey, slow down already. Guys, we should be be living humbly, living modestly. The attention should not be on us, but on Him. Amen? Amen? But sadly, we see the example in the world today where... They take the gospel and contort it, these false teachers, to make it sound like the rich people are the ones who are really following God. And I am amazed by the way the, some of the guys on TV that people actually listen to and are duped by. Some of these guys look like sitcoms on Saturday Night Live to me. I'm baffled. I think nobody's given it. Nobody's given it. Nobody's this. You know what, though? I read of one of these guys who made $85 million last year from people sending him money. And you know what it did? It broke my heart for every person that sent him money because you know what it told me? Those people are looking for truth in the wrong place. And that means we need to speak the truth with greater boldness. Amen? We need to have a greater boldness, a greater burden to reach out. Their motive is not to glorify God, but to profit themselves. And it shows a clear lack of discernment on those who give, but what it really shows is that they don't know the answer. And we know what the answer is. Actually, we know who the answer is. And his name is Jesus. Can I encourage you? Pray for pastors, some who've gotten away from teaching the truth of God's word, that God would would burn their hearts to come back to teaching the word of God again. To restore them, to return. We want to see revival in this country. We need to pray more and teach the word of God without compromise. Amen? Amen? And we need to pray that God's pastors would do just that. That they would be unswayed by worldly riches and popularity and power. Because religion is a place where people can make a lot of money if they're dishonest and if they've got wrong motives. And again, the motive for these false teachers wasn't to glorify God, but to bring glory and honor to themselves. Verse 12, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Now, if you had a prophet and that's what he said about you, that'd be kind of rough. But this is one of their own prophets, and Paul is quoting one of their own guys to talk about what kind of people they are. Now, people get upset. People in Santa Cruz sometimes get upset when people who don't live here bash our city, but if we live here, we can bash it because it's our city, right? You know what I'm talking about? You can talk about your own, right? You know, you, you, you pick on your little brother, but if someone else picks on your little brother, it's, you know, fisticuff time, right? I only I get to pick on him. But here's the thing. So this Cretan guy, his name was Epimedes, and he was one of their... Seven wise men, and he said this about his own people. He said, The Cretans are always, this means they are continually liars. They're continually liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Now, interesting. They're incurable liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. The word Cretan became a word that was equated with someone who was a liar and a lazy glutton. You Cretan. That's what the word became to mean. And it came from one of their own prophets. Now you think that Paul's sharing this, and now he's going to say, well, he said that about you guys, but you know what, really? You guys are pretty good. You know, you're good people, there's good in every man. Look at the next verse. This testimony is true. Now, this is not the words you would use if you're trying to win a popularity contest. Amen? He goes, you know what? He called you guys lazy liars and gluttons and evil beasts, and that's what? You know what? And it's true. That's exactly what you guys are. I love the candor of the Apostle Paul. He simply affirms the testimony of their character, that their character is accurate. And you know what? When people heard of Cretans, they thought of corruption. And you know what? When people hear of Americans, what do they think? You know, I've and I've been blessed to travel abroad many times on missions trips. And Americans are known for some good things and some bad things. We're known to be hardworking and industrious. We've invented much of the great inventions of the world. When they find out you're American, they automatically think you're wealthy. But they also think that Americans are loud and aggressive. Wherever you go. I'll never forget I was in Russia. And all my clothes got lost. They left them on the plane and it was 20 below zero. That's not good, by the way. You don't like that when they leave your clothes in the airport. They, you come and all you got the stuff you want on the plane. That's not good. So I had bought a Russian coat, a Russian hat, and Russian boots. And we are out doing street evangelism. It was, it was really cold. And we're, I'm walking with all these Russian kids from the Russian high school. And he's speaking in Russian to every person. And then I, when he gets to me, I'm five feet away. He says... Hey, Amerikansky, how you doing? I'm like, how did he know? I'm wearing a Russian hat, a Russian coat, and Russian boots. Dude, how did you know I was an American? He said, because you walk like you're free. He said, you walk around like you own the place. That's what Americans do. <laughs> you know, every, Russians talk like, you know, we're just walking around like, yeah, what's up? <laughs> right? Here's the point. The culture of the Cretans was lazy, liars, gluttons. Everybody knew it, and Paul didn't try to reach out to them by telling them how wonderful they were. Giving them seven steps to get away from being a lying glutton. He didn't do that. He said the testimony is true. That's what you guys are. You know what? We'll never see that we're sinners, or our need for a Savior until we realize that we're sinners. Amen? And they were insubordinate and idle talkers and deceivers in the pursuit of dishonest gain. And Titus, this is the place where God has called you. You know what? Every time you meet a pastor, they always think the place where they pastor is the worst place. It's true. You meet a pastor. How's it going? Oh, man, hard ground. It's just hard ground, man. It's really hard. You know, where I'm from, everybody goes to church already, so they all think they're Christians. So they don't want to even hear the gospel because they think they know it already. Then the next guy you talk to says, yeah, man, where I go, nobody goes to church. So it's really hard ground because nobody wants to hear it, you know? And so wherever you go, they all think it's the hardest place around. And Paul's telling them, yep, they're all liars and ladies, but you know, what? that's where you're called to be. And you keep preaching the word and you keep identifying the false teachers and don't dial it down or water it down because of the environment you're in, stoke up the flame. It's what he's telling them to do. Don't. Be blown away by the environment you're in. It's an ungodly place filled with people with flawed character, but so is every place on this planet. Amen? Amen. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Paul didn't tell Titus to leave. Okay, that's tough. Those guys are liars. You know what? Go somewhere else. Go to the Bible Belt and plant a church. You can buy a cheaper house there, right? Right? They they haven't legalized marijuana there, right? It's not a pro-abortion city or anything like that. Why don't you go to that city? They haven't voted to impeach the president. Why don't you go down there? And the housing's cheaper and it'll be easier to reach people. But that's not where he was called to be. And guys, you're here because this is where God's called you to be. Amen. Amen? And God's called you to be here to be salt and light because this place, just like Crete, needs Jesus, Again, the ground is hard. Get me out of here. No, Paul exhorted them. What I want you to do is therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. No matter how wicked or how ungodly the place or the people, you be faithful. No city, no person is beyond the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Can God bring revival to Santa Cruz County? What's the answer? Absolutely. Absolutely. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, my prayer daily. Bring revival here, Lord, and start in my heart first. Amen? Amen. We need to start being bolder because you know what? If we're not going to stand up for God here, who in the world is going to? No matter how bad it looks, God is great enough, greater than any level of wickedness. God is with you, has you right where he wants you, and Paul is encouraging Titus in the midst of it to stay and rebuke them sharply. What was he saying? saying, Those who want to bring the world into the church, rebuke them sharply. Those who want to come in and teach teach false doctrine, rebuke them sharply. The church is a holy standard in an unholy world. It should be impacting the world, not being impacted by it. We should not be trying to be more like the world so that we fit in with the world. We should be standing up for the truth so that we can impact the world around us. He's saying, Titus, no Cretan is beyond salvation. And what I would say to you, there's not one person in Santa Cruz that's beyond salvation. He can save every one of us. That That they may be sound in the faith. How are they going to be sound in the faith? By being exhorted from the word of God. The true faith. The gospel. Says in verse 14, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. The word for fables there is muthos. It's where we get the word for myths. And he's saying, teach them the truth so they won't be turned aside by the myths. Guys, the reason people are trying to feng shui their way to happiness or they're trying to find some kind of new age thing or walk some maze or do something to find happiness at the end is they have not come to the realization of the true and living God. Because once they do, they won't need those myths anymore. Amen? We just need Jesus. That's what we need. Not giving to these fables and commandments of men, these words of men, who turn people from the truth. It says there, who turn them from the truth, the truth, the gospel. The gospel is not a truth, it's the truth. Notice it says there, turn them from the truth, because there only is one truth. We must accept the gospel as it is to truly be saved. Guys, we don't pick and choose the gospel from the gospel. We don't take a little bit from it and deny part of it. We don't take some of the words of Jesus and reject other words of Jesus. We see this all over our county right now. There was articles in the paper just recently with all these churches saying they deny portions of scripture, yet they still consider themselves to be Christians. And what I'm telling you is you cannot do that. You cannot pick and choose from the word of God and still be a Christian. It's the whole counsel of god jesus is the only way there are not many ways we must recognize guys our sinfulness and our desperate need for a savior before we can be saved that's the only way we can be saved and he says to turn from the truth that's what they're trying to do we're almost done to the pure all things are pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but even their mind and conscience are defiled some people are trying to take this verse to say, to the pure, all things are pure. Then they'll try to say, I had a guy in a youth group say this to me years ago. Pastor Dave, to the pure, all things are pure. So I can look at pornography because I'm a Christian. And to me, all things are now pure because I'm pure in Christ. When you take the text out of context, all you got left is a con. Here's the point. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the food and the dietary regulations of the previous verse, these myths and these fables that the Jews were handing out, that you had to keep a certain diet and keep certain rules to be saved. And what he was saying is that for us as Christians, it's not what enters our mouth that defiles us, but what goes out of our mouth that defiles us. And there are no longer are unclean foods anymore. That's why we need to understand context when we read the Bible. Amen? Amen. Otherwise, you start doing things like this young man did. But what he's saying is, those things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. You know, those who have not truly come to understand the grace of God, to them, everything is sin. They're always legalistic, always trying to find another thing they can accomplish to come out somehow get right standing before God. Because of his grace, we have right standing before God. We have it today. We need not hold on to the law. Isn't that what the Pharisees did? They held on to the law, and yet they were lost. Last verse. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So, in closing, here's the thing. They profess to know God, but their works deny Him. Guys, if we're truly saved, it's going to be seen more than just in our words, but in our actions. Amen? Amen. It's not going to be just that we say we're Christians, but people ought to know it if we never said anything. They ought to see it in the way that we live, in the way that we act, in the way that we reach out to others in love. Our conduct reveals something, their conduct reveals something different than what they spoke, and our conduct ought to be a reflection of who we are in Jesus Christ. So, it's so important, guys, that we not just say we're Christians, but we be desperate for Him and start living like it. Start crying out to Him, seeking Him. It's interesting that the word there for abominable, and I'll close with this, is the word reprobate. And it's used to describe a counterfeit coin or a cowardly soldier who fails in battle or a candidate who's rejected from an elected office. You know what? This is what happens when we say one thing and live another way. One of the worst things we can do is call ourselves Christians and live like the world. We will draw more people away from God than anything else we can say or do. Because God, the world is looking at us. Christianity is often more caught than taught. Again, as I used to say, they're all hat, no cattle sometimes. A guy looks really like he owns a bunch of stuff. He looks like a godly man. He's a Christian poser, right? He's got the outward gear. He's got the sticker on his car. But you know what? He doesn't live like he's walking with the Lord. Guys, it makes a huge difference how we live. We don't live so that we can be saved but we ought to live different because we're saved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would help us, Lord, to, to boldly proclaim the truth wherever we go. Lord, I pray we'd proclaim it in our actions, not just in our words. Lord, I pray for each person here when they go to work tomorrow or to school. Lord, I pray they'd be salt and light. Father, I also pray, Lord, for those who you've called to stand in the pulpits in America. Lord, I pray you'd light a fire in every pastor's heart to return to teaching your word and to do it without compromise. Father, I pray that you would bring the word of God back into our public schools. Lord, I pray you'd bring prayer back into our schools. Lord, I pray you'd bring prayer and the word back into every home where people call themselves Christians. May we dust our Bibles off and open them up and teach them to our children. Father, I pray also, Lord, that we would not sit idly by when false Teachers are are drawing people away to untruth, but in love, bring correction. So Father, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. We thank you for the empowering work of your Holy Spirit. The only reason we can stand in the midst of a lost and a perverse generation is that we serve a risen and living Savior, and you never leave us nor forsake us. Help us, Lord, to stand strong for you in the midst of a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said... Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.